You are listening to Sports Day. Adam Cooney in some unbelievable form tonight. The Netball Pay Dispute Coons officially came to an end this week. And not a day too soon, I've got to say. It was ugly. It was bitter and undoubtedly a reputational body blow to the sport at a time well, when it should be prospering when you consider how well the national team is going. And covering it closely for the ABC was Brittany Carter, who joined us now. Britt, welcome back to Sports Day. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. As we discussed a couple of weeks ago, the players finally got their revenue share model. Yep, they got it. And they got it in full, too. So they were after that 20% of the above uh, projected sponsorship revenue. And that's what they got in the end. So... There were uh, some delays. We'd heard that the deal had been done about 10 days ago, but there were some delays in getting an actual signature and, uh, yeah, them to sign on the dotted line. So they finally got it done. And, yeah, we're we're glad to hear that that's kind of all put to bed now and players are finally being paid and they're going to receive back pay now to October 1st because it's been 11 weeks without pay. So you can imagine they're really, really feeling that in the lead up to Christmas. Now, Brittany, I'm no financial analyst, would you believe? <laughs> but it, it did seem from the outside that it, this wasn't an outrageous request from these players. So uh, is that right, first of all? And how come this couldn't have been done earlier? Yeah, that's right. I think it was more of a power struggle, really. I mean, we've seen a couple of instances over the past few years where the governing body has tried to put its foot down and say, no, we make the rules here. You're going to follow what we want you to do. And the players have been a bit fed up with that line. So I think this was kind of more about the principle of it all rather than the money. And we've seen that line repeated from the players. They just want to be partners in the game. They want to be seen as key stakeholders. So I think that is why we saw them take such a strong stance this time around because this sponsorship revenue, they've been going after it for a couple of years now. So it's been brought up in previous CPA negotiations, but it's been put to the wayside to get some other things on the table. So they saw it as a priority this time, the AMPA and the players. And I think that's because there's been such a build-up, really, of all this tension and, yeah, this control that the governing body has tried to enforce on the players. Uh, What you're saying, too, is right. It was a modest asking. I mean, if so it's above projected sponsorship money. So if some extra sponsorship money comes in that Netball Australia hasn't already factored into its finances, then the players get a 20% cut of that. If there's no extra sponsorship money, they get nothing. So mm-hmm. at the end of the day, 20% is really not much to ask for given the scale of the other revenue share models we see in the in other sports like cricket who get a 5% cut of the total revenue that Cricket Australia brings into the game. So really what these netballers asking for was quite modest and it was just about the principle of it, of it all. That's also the players backing themselves in to be able to grow the game, get some more sponsorship and then in turn, if they do that, everyone works together and the product is good, then obviously they earn more, more money off the back of that. So there, there are percentage revenue models, as you mentioned, in a lot of other codes. Uh, AFL has been brought in a, a few years ago. You mentioned cricket is a pretty heavy one. Is, so there, is there a percentage revenue model in this pay deal uh, in terms of the t- total salary cap or just purely that 20% above? Uh, So I think the salary cap has been increased, as has the uh, average player wage and the minimum salary. So that's been increased by 11%. So that was kind of already on the table. I think both parties had agreed on that. And the fact that Nepal Australia went live with that offer a few weeks ago now, it's been so long, this has dragged out. It's 
kind of hard to track <laughs> what happened when. Um, but yeah, that, that had already kind of been agreed upon, this 11% rise. And what was the real sticking point was the revenue share model. So there have been some small increases in other areas that are coming with this pay deal. Uh, but yeah, basically the revenue share is what they were holding out for uh, for those 11 weeks of no pay. And an 11th player will be introduced to each of the eight Super Netball teams as well, which I think is significant because that's what that's um that's eight more players across the league, um and and that just shows that they they want the Super Netball teams to have some more depth. But from an optics perspective, and you know, Britt, as journalists, we're big on optics and how it looks and and how the game can survive <laughs> and push forward. I, I watched Joe Weston stand alongside um, Stacey West, who's the interim netball CEO, um, and the union boss, Catherine Harvey-Williams, at the netball courts. I think they were in Parkvale or Parkville on Wednesday. And I understand why Kelly Ryan resigned and wasn't there, but it was a bit jarring. I mean, was her position untenable, do you think, in the end? Yeah, I think so. I think given that uh, former Diamonds coach and uh, also player, Joyce Brown, came out with, a petition that was asking for heads to roll at the top and that has received almost 5,000 signatures. I think that it was untenable. I mean, if you have former players and current players all saying that they don't like the leadership of the sport, someone's got to go. And Kelly Ryan was the face of it as the CEO. And, you know, Liz Ellis was quite outspoken in the treatment of the players around that Australian Netball Awards night, calling it callous. Mm. We've spoken about that in the past, I think, when we've caught up. So, yeah, there was a lot of, I guess, negativity around the leadership. And so someone had to go. It had to be Kelly Ryan. I think that's the right move to move forward because right, we've seen such a breakdown in the relationship between the players, the administration. If nobody trusts each other, how can we grow the sport beyond what it is now? My question is whether it's enough for Kelly Ryan to go. I think mm. someone from the board needs to take accountability here because right now, we're not seeing much from them. They're very quiet. They've let Kelly Ryan take the fall. And they would have been part of these important discussions around some of these controversial decisions that have upset the players. So right now, I think there needs to be more change. But whether we'll get it, I'm not sure. That's really interesting. I mean, And the board, I'd imagine, is quite happy to sit in the background and, as you said, let Kelly, Kelly Ryan take the fall. But I, I was reading Kelly Ryan's statement. And again, I use the word jarring. I found it a bit tone deaf. You know, during my time as CEO... I've delivered on the objectives of the board. We overcame the challenges of coronavirus pandemic, um, experienced strong growth in the national competition, grew netball's already strong particip num participation numbers and strengthened the game's finances. I just think that Kelly Ryan, in a statement, spruiking her own achievements while players haven't been paid for 11 weeks or whatever it was and, um, and losing 17 or $18 million um, that the federal government had promised them is, is completely off the mark. How did you see that statement? Yeah, I think tone deaf is a, top, a kind of a word that could be used to describe a lot of the way that Netball Australia has done its business over the past few years. And even uh, Wendy Archer, the chair of Netball Australia, fronted up to do a press conference, which we appreciated in the media because at this point in time, no other board member has stepped forward to talk about this issue. So Wendy Archer fronted up to the press and we said to her, did you know Kelly Ryan was going? Did you have any idea? And the answer was no, which is concerning knowing that they haven't been talking about this kind of thing. And then they also confirmed that there has been no discussion about any other board member needing to go or that they need to change their tact in the way they approach the governance of the sport, given all of the bad PR that's been around it at the moment. So it shows you that the sport is really slow to, to take on feedback and 
I think tone deaf is probably the right word for it. <laughs> Don't forget there's an AFLW job that's just opened up. So Kelly has to put herself in the best position now and make herself look good as she walks out the door. Ah, interesting. So there's a job opportunity there. So she wants to look good. Don't forget that. Sure, sh- sorry, sure, surely the AFL doesn't take a punt on Kelly after what we've seen in netball. Surely they can find a better candidate. Well, I mean, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, these people seem to get so many chances. I just yeah. And she's been involved in the sport before, so she would be well-connected. So yeah. I'm not quite sure what's happened there. Of course, I'm speculating, but yeah. she has tried to, I think, jump ship a couple of times. If you read into some of the reports around it, she has been interested in moving back to footy. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where I sit on that. But I think, you know, you, you mentioned Stacey West running up to do that press conference with Joe Weston and Catherine Harvey-Williams the other day to announce the deal. And it was a totally flip. Uh, it was a big flip in the way that they yeah. talked about the revenue share model and the players. It was all really, you know, positive. And we thank the AMPA for their work during these negotiations. It was a complete, yeah, flip from what we'd seen with these really tense arguments about money and the revenue model is, is going to be bad for our sport and we can't afford it and all of that. So, to see them do a, a full 360 on that, I think, was quite jarring for people that have followed this now because, I mean, we want it to be positive. We want the sport to move forward. But how can your minds change so quickly? Uh, I kind of think it must point to the negative feedback they've been getting from the outside. Yeah. So so where to now? So the, the pay deal is in place. The 20% revenue share is in for those sponsorship dollars. Uh, Kelly Ryan's out. Is that enough, do you think, for the players to be satisfied with the whole situation or do you think there's still a distrust and a disconnect between um, the leadership and there will be some new leaders that come into place as I mean we understand that but how are the players feeling on this do you think they'd be satisfied now with everything even though they've been put through the ringer well Joe Weston said she thought the 11 weeks of no pay was worth it to get this revenue share model in place for the future generations because really this generation of netballers is probably not going to benefit from this new model now it's probably going to be in the years to come as netball hopefully gets a bit more progressive and a bit more uh, confident in its ability to really generate commercial interest because right now some of the broadcast deals around the place are just so small compared to other sports going around and netball tries to portray itself as one of the big leaders in the Australian sports landscape but it accepts such little money for its broadcast and a range of other things that it does in the commercial space. So, yeah, I, I think there's still a lot more um, to be done here and the players are surely happy, right? But they're bubbling under the surface still that they're playing for a, a sport that doesn't... You know, it took so much for them to realise the value of what they were asking for. So I would say that it's going to be a really crucial time for Nepal right now. They need to get that CEO appointment right and the repairing of the relationship has to be the utmost importance, um, as does trying to get some of that funding from the federal government that they lost, the $18 million there. So 80 super netball players. Do you have any idea how many actually slept in their cars or had to move back in with their parents because of this pay dispute and the fact they weren't being paid for weeks on end? I don't, and I don't think that players would probably publicly want to talk about that. I do know a lot of them dipped into the bank of mum and dad uh, (laughs) and some had to move back home and and go back in a state just to live at home to get past this because they couldn't afford to pay their rent. So there are players that have done it really hard throughout this. There are players, of course, that live here in Australia on visas that can't do another job. Like their visas 
uh-huh. are tied to the sport that they play. And so some of them have really been struggling to, to get by um, basically because they can't go pick up a job at Coles and pack shells, for example. So um, the other thing, of course, we haven't even talked about is this is really delayed player signing. So the window is open now until next week. Uh, but it, it's meant a whole lot of uncertainty for players. We've seen some head home to England because they couldn't get a contract for next year and a certain income um, to, to guarantee that they could stay in Australia. So it's been a really uncertain time and hopefully all of the pieces of the puzzle will fall into place in the next week. But there are players that have potentially had to end their career early or you know, go back to playing a lower-ranked um, level of netball just because they don't know where that opportunity is coming from next year so it's going to have a huge knock-on on the uh, knock-on effect in the sport and I wouldn't be surprised if we even see the super netball season next year delayed because yeah, the pre-season wow. is just so far behind for so many teams including the Mavericks. Wow that's incredible isn't it so do you think the standard will drop next year because of that because of quality players having to leave? I don't think the standard will drop. Just I think it's going to be really tough for teams that have got a real new combination um, that they're trying to develop. So, again, I go back to that example of the Mavericks. They're a brand-new team. They've pulled players from all over the place. So they're really the ones that are going to need to try and gel on court as quickly as possible um, because players have been training individually and not being able to meet up for fear of, you know, because nobody's signed any contracts and nobody really is tied to a team. So... Yeah, I think that probably the Mavericks are the most disadvantaged, but there will be other teams around the place that have got brand new defensive lineups or shooting lineups that they kind of need to get going with. So I, I don't think the quality will drop, but maybe some teams will take the, a while to get their feet if the season isn't delayed and they have to go ahead with that early 2024 start. Brett, I keep reading about this war on talent between AFLW and netball, and I presume soccer's involved as well and other sports. How serious is that for netball and more broadly, the future of netball with young athletes? Yeah, it's very serious. I mean, the great example of it right now is Verity Simmons, who is a veteran player for the West Coast Fever. She's won two domestic titles during her time as a player, and she's just decided to hang up the netball dress because she didn't know what what was happening. Uh, And she's just been signed by the West Coast Eagles. So that's a direct example right here, right now, of a netballer going to... AFLW looking for an opportunity and she said in the media that if she didn't have those 8 to 11 weeks to sit there and think about what she was doing with her life, she probably would have just played netball next year. So there are real concerns about that and I mean even for the next generation of girls and boys, that's what I'm really worried about because if you're a parent right now, do you want your child to play netball knowing everything that's going on and the way it's been dragged through the mud? I I think it's really difficult knowing that, you know, that we had a fantastic FIFA Women's World Cup here. The Matildas were loved by absolutely everyone. So there could be a real push to other sports and we might not see it until we get those participation numbers from the next generation over the next couple of years. Uh, Really enjoyed the chat today. It's um, such an interesting topic. I mean, not an ideal topic for netball at all and the players and Netball Australia, but I'm glad they've sorted it out. And I'm even more happy that you've brought um, such clarity to us on on what what's occurred over the last few weeks and few months. So thanks so much for your time, Britt. Uh, on the way in today, I was listening to the Beamsy and Britt podcast and you had a fantastic discussion around Alyssa Healy as well. Um, so you're clearly not just a netball reporter, but you can do many different sports. So if you want to check out that podcast, head to your podcast app, the Beamsy and Britt podcast. Thanks so much for your time, Britt. 
Thanks so much, guys. Anytime. That's uh, ABC journalist and netball commentator Brittany Carter. Really interesting stuff, Coons. This is the good oil for Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil, grown, harvested and first cold-pressed in northern Victoria. More Sports Day after this.